Hi everyone, welcome to the Art Charter Podcast, this is Henrietta. Hi everyone, Alisa speaking and welcome to this new episode. Today's topic is an interesting one. We're going to discuss the story of possibly the world's greatest art forger named Wolfgang Beltrecki. If art crime and con artists pique your interest, then this is definitely something for you. So without further ado, let's get started. We should mention first, uh, just for a little context, that an estimated 20% of all artworks in museums could be fake. Art forgery has a long history going back to the Roman period, and since then, art crime has become one the third largest criminal enterprise globally. Wow. So in other words, experts cannot always tell what is real and what's fake, and there are a lot of forgers out there. You might have actually heard of some like Tom Keating, Yves Chaudron, Elmer Dufory, and recently Inigo Philbrick. But like we mentioned, today is all about Wolfgang Beltraki. So, Elisa, can you tell us about who Wolfgang was? Of course. Wolfgang Betraki still is a German con artist who managed to fool leading art experts and collectors in an international art scam for over three decades, lasting between 1980s and 2010. He worked alongside his partner in crime, wife Helena, and together they forged over 300 paintings. We don't know the exact number because Petraki has kept it a secret. So how did their con actually work? What was so different about their forgeries? Their con featured a twist. Instead of forging existing paintings, Wolfgang made fake originals by imitating multiple artists' style and signing the paintings in their names. He would also try to get into the artist's headspace to capture the art properly. Some of the artists he imitated include Max Ernst, Fernand Leger, and many more. He really had a skill and an eye for imitating people's styles, it seems. So looking back at his childhood, we know that Wolfgang was surrounded by art and he learned about the different styles and eras, particularly from his father, who actually restored paintings in churches. And as a way to make extra money, his father began copying paintings and he sold them. That's right. And when Wolfgang was only 14, his father asked him to copy a painting by Pablo Picasso and Wolfgang managed to do it almost perfectly. Then, when he attended art school, he began selling paintings at flea markets, which he would first purchase, restore, and then resell. Even though he was very talented himself, he ended up dropping out of art school with no qualifications. Still, in 1978, three of his original paintings were exhibited at a prominent museum, Haus der Kunst in Munich, and they also offered him a contract, but he turned it down because he wanted freedom and he wanted to travel. That choice marked the path his life would take as an art forger who went on to really create chaos in the art market. It's a fascinating childhood and adolescence story, I must say, especially to think that he didn't have any qualifications, but he still was exhibited at a very prominent museum. 
Now let's not forget that he did work with his wife Helena, so can you tell us a little bit about how the so-called Bonnie and Clyde of the art world got away with forging art for so many years and managed to calm their way into millions and millions of euros? Absolutely. They invented a fascinating fictitious cover story. The story went that Helena had found a collection that was hidden during the Second World War that belonged to her grandparents. To prove that, they even dressed Helene up in old clothing and took a picture of her on old paper from the time of the Second World War and even before that, in order to prove the story of the collection. They also did a lot of research, including lab testing pigments used in the paintings and using old materials to mimic the time period. They also made labels for the collection from old fabric and used organic material to create glue. It's fascinating stuff. And they, and it seemed like it really worked wonders for a long time. But isn't it true that Wolfgang and Helena were caught because of a simple tube of white paint? Isn't that right? Yes, it is. Wolfgang used white paint for his another fake creation, and uh, that paint contained titanium white pigment even though the label on the tube didn't mention it. Heinrich Kampendonck, the painter whose style Betrachi was imitating with this white pigment, was not alive when titanium white pigment existed. When Beltraki finished the painting, he approached a gallerist in Geneva, who then thought that parts of the cataloging of the painting that Beltraki provided looked suspicious. So she went on and involved an art expert to investigate the painting. And then she sent it off to London, where the analyst discovered that the painting contained titanium. And that was it. This was just the beginning of the story, right? Correct. What Biltraki also did to support the cover story with the found art collection after the Second World War was that they started marking all their paintings with a customized stamp to make it look like an original private collection. So when the analysts realized that uh, this Campbell dog was fake, uh, they started sort of looking at uh, similar artworks that were sold on the market with similar marking and similar stamp. And uh, they realized that there were tens and tens of paintings like that with the same marking. So they re basically realized that that was part of a bigger scam. Wow, incredible. And then in October 2011, Beltraki was actually sentenced to six years and then to four years, both in an open prison system. That's true. What's so special about this case, though, is that uh, his fakes were sold by prominent dealers and auction houses to other prominent art collectors and large museums around the world. So it seemed like no one really wanted to know the exact list of the artworks that were faked. Also, his father was actually his defender and lawyer. So the trial that the whole world was waiting for actually ended really quickly. It only lasted a few months and the case was closed really quickly. It must have been a bit embarrassing though to the industry, especially appraisers when they found out that Beltraki had forged so many paintings. Many have even faced legal charges from art collectors who bought one of these forgeries. 
Definitely, and that was probably one of the reasons why the case was closed so quickly, just to avoid the effects and consequences it would create afterwards. So many art collectors and institutions might also have his works um, and may, they may not even be aware of it. And Biltraki himself has revealed that he has seen his own forgeries in official catalogues in big galleries like MoMA in New York and uh, Christie's and Sotheby's auctions and so on. But he hasn't revealed which they are though. We haven't said much about public opinion about them yet. There are a lot of varying views about him in particular. Most experts in the industry dislike him and find him greedy but still recognize his talent. But then, on the other hand, a lot of people consider him a genius and his paintings have been called masterpieces by art experts who at the time didn't even know they were forgeries. That's true and uh, I believe the opinions are still divided. But what's interesting about Beltrake is that now he is um, free and he continues painting. He creates his own art and he signs it with his own name this time. And actually a lot of people think that he doesn't have his own style and even they even say that he's not talented. But that hasn't stopped him from uh, creating his own pieces that um, are actually selling pretty well at the market. Indeed, I mean, his work is actually in quite high demand and he makes an estimated 30,000 to 50,000 US dollars per painting. He has also garnered interest from celebrities who want their portraits painted. But one more thing I'd like to touch upon is how the art market will be affected by art forgery in the future. I mean, do you have any ideas about what's going to happen? I think in the long term, people might become more vigilant and could demand certificates of authenticity. There is also a lot more technology being developed these days that can help authenticate the works. But at the end of the day, it will most likely remain an issue for a long time. It's a shame, really. But either way, thank you for staying with us for this episode. Thank you for listening and don't forget to follow the Art Trotters podcast. We'll hopefully see you next time. Thanks for now and see you next time. Bye.